Good morning. So we're in 1 Timothy 3 today, working our way through 1 Timothy. And this scripture is on qualifications to be an elder. And you might be sitting here going, all right, cool. I'm not an elder. Why does this matter to me? And as we're going to even learn this morning, half of you couldn't even be an elder if you are a female, and we're going to get into that. I know that's like, oh, shocking. Okay, but we're going to get into that. Don't worry. But why does it matter to you if you are not an elder? Well, first and foremost, please don't answer this out loud. This is a rhetorical question. Have you ever been hurt by a church leader? Nope. Good listening. <laughs> um, have you ever been hurt by a church leader? Maybe you haven't been now. I love you, Joel. Um, church leadership affects everyone. Everybody in here, church leadership affects, and if it hasn't, it will. Secondly, I'd say all the characteristics that we see in this scripture are actually characteristics of Jesus himself. So this is everybody's call. Elders or Shepherds are to be leading the way with their character. They're to be prime examples of what it looks like to follow Jesus, which is why their character, as we're going to see in here, is the most important qualifier. But these characteristics are for all of us. This is what we should all be striving for with the Holy Spirit's enablement. So let's get into it. Verse 1, 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. So right away, verse 1, we see this word overseer, which is translated in other English translations as pastor or bishop or elder. It's this. It's the primary leading shepherds of a local church. That's what this term is talking about. The primary leading shepherds. Of a local church. So, in our context, we call them elders, the shepherds of Stonebridge Church. As one of our elders, Kevin Lambert, says, while he feels the weight of being an elder, he thinks of himself practically day to day as more of a shepherd. And I think that's the best way to think about it and to and to put it. So it's not a church board making decisions, although they do that at some points. It's not primarily that, though. It's not just teaching the word from up front on a Sunday morning, although it could look like that at times. It's not old guys sitting in a room that are called to to crack a whip when people are out of line in the church, although there could be hints of that. It's to be a shepherd. And good shepherds smell like the sheep. They're in relationship with, with the people. They're actively guiding, loving, and leading the sheep already. And we're going to go more into depth when we get to Titus. After we go through First and Second Timothy, we're going to go more into depth into the roles of elders as shepherds. And we're going to see that they're called to protect and feed and lead and care for the flock. Stay tuned for that. But here in First Timothy 3, the focus is their character. Two important notes first before we get into these character qualifications. And, and one is this. 
The call is that churches would have a plurality of shepherds, not just one, not just a pastor as the king of a church. And maybe you didn't grow up in a church that way. And I, I just would say, hey, you got to look at the New Testament. And every time you see this, 1 Peter 5, Acts 20, Titus 1, in our scripture today, it's talking about a group of guys. It's talking about elders and shepherds in a group. And there's incredible protection and strength in this. See, I am an elder of Stonebridge Church. And I lead our elder team. But I have no greater vote or voice in that room. I just, I just like to think of it as I set the table. I'm, I am the paid elder. That I'm also a staff person, so I see more what's going on. So I bring things to the table for us to figure out and to discuss and, and to walk alongside people with so we can protect and feed and lead and care well for the flock. But we reach consensus together on decisions and then humbly submit to one another and to what we decide, even if personally we don't fully agree. And to be honest, I am the odd man out sometimes, and that's actually a good thing for our church. See, there's strength and protection for the church in general, for the church body, because it's not just one person's decision on things all the time. And it's strength and protection for individual elders as well. Because it's not solely their decision. No, we decided this together. We're walking forward. So it's a plurality of elders. Secondly, they're to be male. So last week, Alex Tuckness did an incredible job looking at 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 15. And I just want to paraphrase something he said. He said, in corporate worship in the church, men and women are to reflect and display the beauty of God himself. Just as the Trinity has different roles yet equal and unified. Men and women have different roles, yet they are equal and unified. I love that. I think that's a great way to look at it. Jesus was constantly deferring to the Father's will and leadership in the Gospels, right? You read, you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's always saying, he's always deferring to the Father and His will. That's the beauty of the Trinity, it's, there's unity while holding distinct roles. And the, world's, the world sees the opposite from distinct gender roles. The world looks at this and they think, you know what? I've seen this before. I've seen male leadership before. And I, they, they, this person in my life or that person in this situation or that person in that situation was aggressive and misused leadership and abused their leadership. Or... Or they'll go, you know what, I've seen this before and I've seen men in leadership who are passive and refuse to lead properly and neglect their role that they're called to. And conflict galore happens because of misuses like the ones I just described. But there are distinct gender roles in God's word for the home and for the church. And it's actually incredibly beautiful when we reflect the Trinity, when we reflect God. It's beautiful, though, when it's exercised properly. Just because it's been handled wrongly by people before, which has happened with anything that God has set up, right, where people come in and handle it wrongly or screw it up, it doesn't change his good design and intent. And so Alex Tugness does an even better job than I at explaining this. So go back, watch that, listen to that. 
even if you already heard it, I would encourage listening to it again. But hear me well this morning, okay? I am not saying, and we are not saying, and God is not saying in his word that women are of lesser value. This is not value we're talking about here. In fact, I'm going to show you next week how absolutely critical women are to the church, even in leadership. That's what we're going to see next week. But the main shepherds and elders, which is what this passage is talking about, are called to be men because of God's design. So today in 1 Timothy 3, I want to focus in on the shepherd's character because that's what the scripture does. And we're going to see that character is actually greater than competence. Who these men are is actually greater than what they do. And that's true for us as we follow Jesus. Who you are. The inside is more important than the outside. Who you are is more important than the things that you do because it drives the things that you do. So let's read the rest of this passage. 1 Timothy 3, 2 through 7. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy, he must manage his, manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert, or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. So right away in verse Two, it says an overseer or an elder, a shepherd, therefore must be, be. See, this is talking about his character, who he is. And it's not who he is expected to become. No, who is he already? They are to be. And he, it says he must be above Reproach, And this summarizes everything else in this passage. All of these qualifications. He must be above reproach. Now what does that mean even? It's kind of an outdated term. I, don't, I hear people use it, but hardly anyone can define it for me when I press them. <laughs> what do you mean by above reproach? Oh, I, don't, I don't really know. But uh, Robert Yarbrough in his commentary helps us with this. He said, Paul did not affirm sinless perfection. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Because... I, or any other elder in this church, or any other elder ever except for Jesus, was not perfect. Uh, And is not perfect. So Paul did not affirm sinless perfection. Paul means the person should be of stellar character and free of obvious and provable black marks against his character. So that's what it means to be above reproach. Free of obvious and provable black marks against his character. So as we read the rest of these characteristics, and there's an obvious, provable problem with even one, they probably shouldn't be an elder, at least not until that's worked on a bit. As a couple of our elders said, and I'll introduce you to them later, but um, Tim Ellis and, and Dave Niebel said something to this effect. He said, is the cadence and rhythm of their life 
these things in this passage? The cadence and rhythm of their life. What are they known as? Do their kids, do their spouse, do their coworkers, do their friends, do their neighbors, the people they interact with regularly, do they describe them as these things? Self-controlled, sensible, all of these things, respectable. Now again, not are they perfect, that person doesn't exist. But what are they known as? See, we do this even in a healthy way. Often we label people, right? We go, oh, you know, Ryan, he's a good guy, right? Ryan, he's just a, he's a great guy. Or we go, Ryan, I'd be careful around him, all right? He is an interesting fellow. Or, you know, we say things like that. See, this is what it means to be above reproach. Generally, they're known as a good and godly guy. And that is what we're all called to, to be a good, godly guy or gal. If you break all of the character qualities in this passage of elder and shepherd down to four, here's what what they'd be. And so I just want to spend the rest of the time fleshing these out. And all of these actually point to being above reproach. So the first one is this, to be self-controlled. Verse 2, self-controlled. There's a reason self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5, because self-control is a massive indicator that the Holy Spirit is working in somebody's life. See, apart from close relationship with God, people are excessive naturally. That's what we are apart from God. We are excessive and we're imbalanced. We drift and we coast in our relationship with God and inevitably start to create new gods in our lives, idols. And Proverbs and the Bible in general calls us to healthy relationships with things. Not excessive. To enjoy good gifts from God. Not treat things as God. And a a litmus test for us is this. If we can't abstain for whatever that thing is for a day or two, it's probably excessive. Now, in the list of character qualities here, he actually points out three areas that an elder must be self-controlled in. But just know the principle is to be self-controlled in all areas, right? Not excessive in all areas. But one of them, you see in verse 2, it's to be the husband of one wife, which literally means a one-woman man. Now, there are debates. Should an elder that's been divorced, can they be, or a, a guy who's been divorced, can they be an elder? Personally, I think yes, given the right circumstance. But when I go into that, I, I could see it either way. There's debates on whether this person could be single. Again, that's debatable. I could see it either way. Personally, I think yes. Otherwise, Paul, who's writing this, couldn't be an elder. And I don't think that would be true. So, um, but I want to focus in on more of the common implications here. So a one-woman man, the husband of one wife. So it means, well, at base level, they're not married to multiple women at once. Okay, that may be obvious, but that probably needs to be said. Means that they're not treating others like they're their wife, even in their own minds and hearts. They're not treating other women who they're not married to as their wife, even in their mind. They're not objectifying other women. 
either in their mind or on a screen. And what I just mentioned is a huge barrier today for men becoming elders. And it's been, it's been great. It's, it's been a, it's been, I, I, dare I say, even fun. Because I've been seeing, watching guys lately get freed from some of this stuff. So I've been going through a book by Ray Ortland on these types of things to, to help guys in their minds and in their hearts to not objectify other women who are not their wives. And so if you're interested in that, let's talk. I'd love to help you get free and point you to some resources, but even point you to some other guys that could, that could help walk alongside you. But it's been so fun watching guys get free, and you can as well, and I, I love that. But the reason we do this, though, is because this is what we're called to, right, to be a one-woman man. And this is, this is God's ideal for our lives. Having self-control, though, doesn't just, mean, doesn't just mean that you are not objectifying other women. It, it also means emotionally you handle yourself well with other women as well. So you're not letting other women get too close to you relationally. That's what this means here. Certainly a church... A church family needs solid brother and sister relationships, right? So I'm not saying don't, don't talk to anyone and have a relationship of any ta- kind with someone who's not your spouse, who's of the other gender. No, 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 no. But you know the difference here. You interact differently with a sister than you do with your wife. You interact dif- differently with your brother than you do your husband. And so you even have to guard yourself emotionally there. You have some good, proper boundaries in place to help you with that as well. With self-control. The second must for being self-controlled in verse 3 we see is not an excessive drinker. Now I, I probably don't even have to tell you this, but I have to say it. I mean, alcohol has ruined more families and relationships than, than you could even imagine. And so this passage isn't saying that you can't drink at all. It says not excessively. And it's not worth even getting into what qualifies as excessive because there's so many variables there. Although I would would enjoy having a conversation like that, but I'm not going to say something decisive on that in this setting. But it all goes back to self-control. See, are, are you able to not drink for a day, for a week? Do you have a healthy, healthy relationship with alcohol if you do have it? Do you enjoy it as a good gift from God in moderation, or has it become God to you? For some people, it might mean that they don't drink at all. And many people, for various reasons, can't handle having any alcohol, and there's zero shame in that, by the way. That's good. So not an excessive drinker. We see verse 3 also, not greedy. So... Do you have a good relationship with money and possessions? Are are you tight-fisted or are you open-handed with money and possessions? Now, certainly it doesn't mean that you can't have money or means and be an elder. But are they generous with their money and their means if they have it? Are they known for being excessive in their spending or excessive in their giving? At base level, an elder needs to be leading the way in giving financially to the church 
in which they desire to, to be an elder of. If they aren't giving generously, as Jesus said, their heart isn't there. Your treasure is where your heart is. And so this is, this is one way in which we can tell, is this person ready to be an elder at this church? They're not greedy. The point here is that they need to be self-controlled with everything. Not just sex, not just alcohol, not just money. What are they known as? What are they known for? Excessiveness with things in their lives or balance? The second big character quality we see under above reproach is that they need to be sensible in verse 2. Other translations say it like this. They say sober-minded or they live wisely or prudent. And the idea here is that it's, it's generally a wise person, someone you would go to for advice. So if you're wrestling with a decision in your life and you're not sure what to do, you would turn to this person. Are other people turning to them for advice in following Jesus? Would you send your kids to this person to get advice? In verse 6, it says they should be not a new convert. See, this has to do with being sensible. Wisdom takes time to develop. You don't wake up wise one day. It takes years of walking with Jesus and studying his word and faithfully living in relationship with Christ and with others who are following Christ, you've gone through the good, the bad, and the ugly, and everything in between, and you've clung to Christ through it. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to be an old guy to be an elder. I've seen many young guys be great elders. It does mean, though, that they've logged several years of intently following Jesus. They could have started from a young age. So they're sensible. Third, there's to be respectable, verse 2. So this is someone people both inside and outside the church respect. You, you may not even agree with them, right? Some people may not even agree with this person, but by and large, they're respected by almost everyone. In verse 7, it says that they have a good reputation among outsiders, so what makes them respectable? What makes someone respectable, even as a Christian, to like an atheist? What would make you respectable? Well, it has to do with the way you treat people. See verse 3, it says, they shouldn't be a bully, but gentle. Note that Paul and Jesus, think about their lives. As you look at their lives in Scripture, Paul and Jesus were definitely not weak. I mean, Paul just said to Timothy, hey, you need to fight the good fight. And he calls them to rebuke people when, when you need to. I mean, he, the, nothing weak about Jesus or Paul. So it's not a call to be weak when it says gentle here. It's not a call to passive leadership that does nothing. What the call is to be not so reactionary. Not so trigger happy with your responses. Measured. Measured. And I've been working on this myself a lot in recent years and still have a lot of room to grow if I'm honest. Being respectful means you're, you're caring so much about others that you really think before you speak. So are they quick? Are they sharp? Are they prickly in their responses? Or are they thoughtful? And are they gracious? Verse 3, it says, not quarrelsome. 
It doesn't mean that you, they always agree with everyone. They should have strong convictions. We should have strong convictions and strong opinions sometimes even. But are they able to agree to disagree with other people without the relationship being affected that much? That is an art that's lost today. Especially as a Christian, as we hold fast to clear truth found in God's word, are we able to then be, live a life that is respectable with other people that don't agree with us? We don't compromise at all. But are we able to not be quarrelsome? Are you able to have a civil conversation about something like politic, politics, even with someone who's on the other side of the political aisle with you? The last presidential election we had, it, it fell on um, a day we were having an elder meeting in the morning, and I just was like, hey, you know what? Let's talk about this. Who are you guys voting for for president and why? And we went around and shared, and that could be terrible in some contexts. Like, I'm not saying you should do that in every context, but elders should be able to do that. Not quarrelsome. They should be able to do that. And we didn't all agree, but we were able to share our opinions and hear each other out why. And move on. That's what, that's what we're all called to. We all should be able to develop those skills to be able to agree to disagree and not be quarrelsome. Next, they're to be hospitable. Now, when we hear this word, it's easy to think of inviting someone over to your house, someone who just has people over at their house all the time, and they cook a great meal and have a great setting and all of this. And while it could, that could be part of it, this word actually means just warm and welcoming in general, a warm and welcoming demeanor. Someone, it's someone who's easy to be around, that makes you feel comfortable in your own skin. This could be done... In, a way, in just the way that someone carries themselves. See, hospitable people are hospitable not just when they have guests at their house. They're actually hospitable even when they are the guests at someone else's house. See, it's this idea of, of oh, there you are. How are you? Not, here I am. You want to hear all about me today? You know, no, 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 no. It's this, this warm, welcoming Others before myself attitude. When we're doing elder training, and even before we, we even consider who we will do elder training with to potentially become an elder, I, I am looking and, and seeing, are they warm and welcoming with other people? And if they're not, huge red flag. So there's the character qualities in this passage. Next, I want to point out this, that desire is greater than need. So in verse 1, it says, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. Aspires, desires. Just because the church is in need of elders, just because the church is in need of shepherds, doesn't mean that anyone should just jump in and do it. They must desire to do it and aspire to it. Otherwise, the motivation is off and the passion is missing and it doesn't work well. As one of our elders, Randy Shaver, said, you might desire it, but not actually want it because God calls you to do it, 
and you desire to be obedient to God. And it was interesting, as we went around as elders, that was actually all of our stories. None of us were like, yeah, I want to be an elder. It was more like God made it clear to us that's what he wanted us to do, and we desired to be obedient to God. So we humbly entered into that and, and took that on. But desire needs to be greater than need, even if the desire is just to honor God and how he calls you. And you see this in Acts 20, 28. It says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. See, the Holy Spirit appoints men to be elders. So desire is greater than need and they need to be called Their desire needs to come from a calling from God. The Spirit is placing this burden upon them. Still, however, I know most of the focus in this scripture and what I've said so far is on character, but there is a level of competence that needs to be there. They need to be competent at shepherding others to Jesus. So it makes sense. If you're going to shepherd people, you better be able to shepherd people well. So there's two contexts you need to be able to shepherd others to Jesus in well. And the first one we see in the scripture is in the home. Verses 4 and 5. He must manage his household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? So in our elder training process... At one point, we have the current elders and their wives interview the prospective elder candidate and his wife. And so if you think that you're in here and your husband will perhaps be an elder someday, you should take notes right about now. Okay? Just giving you this as a freebie. Here's what I always ask the wife first of the prospective elder. I say, How does your husband lead your family spiritually? What does that look like? And you know what's interesting is I'm not actually looking for a specific response. I'm just looking for anything. And if if she struggles to answer or gives a non-answer, it's a huge red flag to me because of verses 4 and 5 here. They, They have to be managing their household well. They have to lead their household well to be leading spiritually at home. So at base level, managing your household well means you're pointing to Jesus in your home by initiating prayer with and for your family. Initiating prayer with and for your family. Secondly, they've got to be prioritizing the church, God's family. They have to be promoting the church and and bringing their kids to church, bringing their family to church, talking about how important it is with them. They, they also need to be prioritizing God's word in their own lives and in their own families. They also need to be disciplining their kids in love when they do wrong. The scripture addresses that. Their children need to be under control with all dignity. So disciplining your kids in love when they do wrong. If not, it's actually pretty apparent usually in their kids' lives. And you, you can probably attest to this. Not always. You know, there's always kind of the black sheep kid where you know, the, the parents actually did a great job disciplining them well and they're still 
bonkers, right? But um, we all in each family could say, yeah, it's this, you know, or whatever. Uh, we won't do that. But, um, but in general, you can see it. Are they spending time intentionally with their spouse, with their kids? Does their spouse and their kids know that they're seen and heard and really known by them? See, men will shepherd the church family like they shepherd their home. So this is so critical. So the second context they need to be a good shepherd in is in the church. And in verse 2, we actually see the only actual skill needed. And it says, able to teach. Now this doesn't mean that they're able to preach a sermon on Sunday morning, although it could. But that requires a certain skill that not all have. Able to teach, though. Who are we talking about? Let's start with the who. It could be one-on-one. It could be in a group setting. It could be up front. But clearly, are they able? have they demonstrated the ability to teach others effectively? But who are they to teach? Not who, sorry. What are they to teach? Well, what do we already know from this letter, 1 Timothy, that they must be able to teach? We actually see in 1 Timothy 1.11 and verse 15 that they need to know how to teach the gospel message. In 1 Timothy 2.5 and 6, Paul lays it out clearly, the gospel message, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. You see, a good question for an elder candidate would be, could you take 1 Timothy 2.5 and 6 and explain it to someone in a way that they could understand? Can you help them understand the gospel message and its implications? And not just can you help an unbeliever understand the gospel message? Can you help believers understand the good news of Jesus? Because you better believe day in and day out as we follow Jesus, people need the gospel message. We need to be reminded of the hope and grace of Jesus Christ. We need to be reminded over and over again of the gospel truths in our lives. Are they able to teach other people that? 1 Timothy 3.15, it says that the church is a pillar and foundation of the truth. So they need to, elders need to be able to teach the truth, the word of God. So, does he know the Bible? Not is he a Bible scholar, but do they know their Bible? See, here our elders actually help shape these messages that you hear on Sunday morning. So they better know the scripture. Beyond that, they need to know the truth of Scripture in all areas. Because as you shepherd people, you have to point them to the truth through the Word of God. And it's not just pointing people to what is in there, right? You're trying to help people know Jesus in relationship through the truths found in the Bible. So you need to be able to, to help them along. So if you're an elder, inevitably at some point, you are gonna have a couple come to you where a marriage is in crisis. How are you going to teach them the word of God? You better know how to do it. You better know how to help. Relationships are in the balance. The divorce word is being thrown out. How are you going to shepherd them? What are you going to point them to in the word? And how are you going to lead them along? I mean, are you feeling the gravity and the weight of being an elder? Also, we see in 1 Timothy 1.3 that they're not to teach false doctrine. 
So they're not to teach things that are contrary to God's word. So if, if someone is toying around with quote-unquote new truths, that is a big red flag. There's no new truth. There's no adding to God's word. Now certainly there are new ways to explain it and new ways to bring it to the culture we're in, but the truth stays the same. So big red flag if they're dabbling in other things that are like, ah, that's not in scripture. Big red flag. So, let's take a step back, and I just want to get real practical at the end here and just go, what, what do we do with all of this? What, what can you do with this, even if you're not an elder? Well, one, be an elder in training. Regardless of whether you ever become an elder, seek to be this type of person. And seek to be that type of person from the inside out. Not merely on the outside, but do the hard work of faithfully becoming more and more like Christ. And you can do this through the disciplines, through reading the Bible, through prayer, through serving other people. Maybe you even need to get some counseling to help you work through some junk in your past. That's great. Do it. But don't strive for a title. Strive to be like Christ. Next Sunday, we're actually going to talk about deacons. And I'll just tell you, here's, here's what that message is going to be about. Deacons are to be lead servants in the church, whereas elders are to be servant leaders. And more on that next week. So come next week. It'll be great. It'll be even more practical for everyone in here. But be an elder in training. Secondly, pray for our elders. I've got pictures of all our current elders up here, do we have that one? Yep, pray for elders. Here they are. I think they're all kind of in their element um, to some degree. Randy, I had an even better one if you want to see it later. Come, I would be happy to show you. Um, their wives provided, provided these pictures for me, so don't, I, don't blame me. But um, anyway, if you, if you are an elder... Please stand right now, just so you can see these guys. And not everyone's here, but. All right, we got Kevin and Dave. And... Yeah. Yeah, praise God for these guys. But ask these guys. Ask myself, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for your family? And ask them, how can I be praying for the church? And then do it. Pray for them. It's weighty. You just heard how weighty it is. And lastly, Lastly, number three, thank Jesus that he loves us, his church, enough to set a high bar for elders. This is actually a great thing that he sets a high bar for elders. Let me remind you of a scripture that I read earlier to you, Acts 20, 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for the for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers, listen to this, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. He purchased with his own blood. So this is incredible. Jesus loved us. He loved you. He loved us, his church, enough to die for us. But it didn't stop there. He loved us enough, his church family, that he would give us blueprints for good leaders for our church family, elders, shepherds who represent in the flesh Jesus, the good shepherd. So what a gift to us as we wait for the good shepherd, Jesus' return, that we are given not 
perfect shepherds or under-shepherds, but reflections of the good shepherd who remind us of our good shepherd's even greater love and care. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your incredible shepherding of our church and of our own minds and hearts. Thank you that you are the good shepherd, and I thank you that at this church you've given us good under-shepherds as well. And I, I pray, Father, that you would just show us how to apply this to our lives. There was a lot in here. There's a lot in this scripture. I just pray that we would walk away and motivated by the grace of God and empowered by the Holy Spirit that you would help us to be more like Jesus and be elders in training, so to speak, and, and, and live in a way that shows our families and shows a world that is hopeless how there is actually hope and life and joy and freedom that's found in relationship with Jesus. So I pray this in his powerful name. Amen.